Christianity, the logical choice. Christianity, the logical choice. I'm going to teach you today how to have a logical conversation with somebody about Christianity. Everybody say logic. logic. Listen, Christianity is not a blind leap of faith. Um, in my sociology class in college, we were talking about cults and religions one day, and somebody said, well, Christianity is just like the rest of them. Blind. It's not a blind leap of faith. It's not like the rest of them. Um, nowhere in the Bible is it a blind leap of faith. It's so funny. Uh, the, there's a, there's a, a book in the Bible, an entire book based on wisdom. It's the book of Proverbs. God would not put an entire book in here based on wisdom and all these points on relationships and trust and all that, and then say, yeah, I want you to get in a relationship with me and not know anything just jump into my arms and just believe that I'll catch you. It's not like that at all. In fact, last week we talked about Thomas. Remember Thomas said, um, I will never believe unless I can see the logic, the science. I want to see it and touch it. I want to see the nail scars. I want to touch his side. Did Jesus say, forget you, Thomas. I need somebody that just believes no matter what. No, Jesus fixated on Thomas, went straight to him, said, okay, see the nail scars? Touch, touch my side where the spear went. Um, now, you and I, we know that salvation is a heart issue, okay? It's not a mind issue. Um, the Bible doesn't say believe in your mind, Jesus rose from the dead. It says believe in your heart, right? It's a heart issue. However, we still need to be able to converse logically on Christianity. As believers, we need to know how to answer tough questions. We don't need to be ignorant Christians to say, yeah, we believe in God, but we don't know anything about how we got here or where he's from, any of that kind of stuff. We need to be able to answer the tough questions. So I'm going to teach you today how to do that. This is not for debating reasons. If you want to debate somebody in Christianity, then you buy my hell no book and use, I think it's chapter 9 in there, but it's not for debating. If someone wants to argue with you, that biblically you're supposed to stop. The Bible says don't get into any kind of spiritual arguments. They're of no profit at all. Today is a logical sermon for you to converse with somebody as friends and to answer questions that they may have. Um, in the Bible, <clears throat> salvation is likened to um, marriage. And nobody wants someone to marry them because it's the logical reason. You don't want somebody saying, you know what, you're rich and I'm poor, so I want to marry you because it's logic for me to do that. Or someone to say, I really love this country, so I'm going to marry you so I can stay in the country. You don't want somebody doing that, do you? You want somebody saying, I love you, and that's why I want to be with you, okay? We'll get to that part with Jesus and us loving him, but a lot of times we have to talk to people on a, on a scientific level or on a, on a logical level. It says in Colossians 4, 6, let your conversations... Always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. So for your notes today, there are four questions that must be answered for us to have a truthful world view. There are four questions that you must answer. And when you're conversing with people, you can ask them what their thoughts are on it as well. Four questions for there to be a truthful world view. A worldview is a view that fits all of humanity. In other words, you can't say, well, um, men go to heaven and women go to hell. That's not fair for all of humanity. You can't say, well, white, black, red, yellow, they all have different destinies. That's not all of humanity. It's not based on social standing, money, knowledge, IQ, color of skin, nothing of that. A worldview has to fit every culture of every person that's ever existed on planet Earth to be an accurate worldview, okay? Here's the four questions we're going to answer and talk about today. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Let's all read it together, good and strong. Go. 
Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, where did I come from? Meaning, why am I here? Morality, how do I know what's good and bad? And destiny, what happens after I die? These are questions that must be answered to have a truthful worldview. Um, I heard this one time about Sherlock Holmes and his assistant Watson. And they went camping one weekend. And this Friday night, man, they got so drunk. They were drunk as skunks. And they're laying there on the ground And Sherlock Holmes says, Watson, uh, look up and tell me what you see. And Watson looked up and he said, I see stars, stars, and more stars. And Sherlock Holmes said, well, tell me what that means to you. And Watson said, well, astronomically, there are millions of galaxies. Agrologically, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. Astrologically, Saturn is near Leo. Meteorologically, tomorrow's going to be a nice day. Theologically, we live in a vast universe, but we are a small, minute part. What does it tell you, Holmes? Sherlock Holmes said with great frustration, Watson, you idiot, somebody stole our tent. (laughs) Okay, the point is, it's good to get a little bit deep, but you don't want to lose somebody to the point where they think you're just making stuff up and it's not ever real, any of that stuff, okay? So we want to stay in an even playing field. It all depends on who you're conversing with and who you're talking to, how deep you go. You can actually just use one of my four points. You could use morality and win the conversation and win them over and show them everything. But I'm going to teach you all four just for the sake of having it, okay? Here we go. Number one. Everybody ready? Number one. Are you ready? Okay, number one is origin. Where did life come from? How did I get here? Your answer is we came from God. That's our answer. A lot of people don't believe that. So here's my question to you. Does everybody see this globe that's sitting on the stage right there? It's a plastic globe. It's, it's, it's circular, perfectly round. Uh, there's colors on it. There's letters that form English words on that globe. If someone had a gun to your head, And they said, okay, you got to choose one or the other. Either somebody put that globe there on the stage, or from billions of years, that globe in all of its intelligence, looking, the colors, the words, the plastic, the perfectly round, it just showed up there somehow after millions of years. Which one, let's say you're not even a Christian, you don't know nothing, which one would you say? Did somebody put it there or did it just happen to show up for millions of years? Of course somebody put it there. In fact, the more intelligent the finding, the more intelligent the life behind it. We know a child may have put it there, but a child didn't create it. We know it had to be somebody intelligent. Here's why we know that. Because there's all these tough, big words all over it. There's colors. There's sectioned off countries and states and capitals and oceans. And it's blue and it's round. And it's just a, it's a, it's a pretty cool looking globe. There's no way in a million years, literally, that this thing just happened to show up here with all this intelligence on it. How much more, how much more idiotic is it to believe that the globe you and I are standing on right now that's in the middle of space in... And it's way more sophisticated than this piece of plastic. How much more ignorant is it to believe that that globe just happened to show up like it did? In fact, if you want to really get to the science of it, the human enzyme is far more intellectual, um, far more um, advanced than this globe I'm holding and even the globe we're standing on. The mathematical odds that the human enzyme came together by chance. Now, the human enzyme is the building block of the gene, of the cell, and on and on. The mathematical odds that a human enzyme just came together by chance is 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power. Now let me tell you, as a scientist or as a math professor, here's the identical mathematical odds, very close to the same odds as this. 
If a printing press was printing books for Barnes and Nobles, children's books, um, all kind of fictional stories, Twilight series, whatever they're printing, okay, all of a sudden a bang occurs, a big bang in fact, and the whole thing just blows up, the printing press is all over the place, and you're getting in there and you're moving the rocks out of the way, and you're moving the rubble and the, the part and all the dirt, and all of a sudden in the middle of this huge bang, all these books somehow that blew up the letters and the words came together and it formed a perfectly written dictionary. In order, from A to Z, that is the equivalent mathematical odds, 1 in 10 to the 40,000th power, that the dictionary came together from an explosion in a printing press that the human enzyme inside your body came together by chance. Equivalent. It actually takes more faith to disbelieve God than it does to believe, right? Yeah. So here's the next question. If we came from God, where did God come from? Well, that question assumes that God is limited by the space continuum, which is time, chance, and matter. Time, space, and matter. If our God was limited by his creation, he would not be a God worth worshiping. In fact, the man that made this overhead projector here, he's not inside the overhead projector. He created it. He's on the outside of it. If God was affected by the very thing that he created, time, space, and matter, he wouldn't be a God worth worshiping, would he? In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, there's time. God created the heavens, there's space, and the earth, there's matter. God created the very thing that we're asking where he came from. He was not, he did not need to be, that question even assumes that he needed to be created. In fact, it's scientifically impossible to claim that God does not exist. It's actually scientifically impossible to be an atheist. It's impossible. You can't do it. Let me prove it to you. To say that something does not exist, you have to have all knowledge of that thing. In other words, if I said there is no city in the entire world named Conway, you would have to ask me, well, John Paul, do you know every city on planet Earth? Well, no, I don't. Then how can you say there's not one named Conway? If um, you came to me and you said there was no such man named David Weber, there's no man on planet Earth named David Weber. I would say this. Do you know the names of every single man on planet Earth to tell me there's not one named David Weber? Of course not. To say God does not exist, you have to have all knowledge. The smartest man in the world right now is named Kim Ung Young. He's from Asia. When he was four years old, he started college, university. At two years old, he could read, write, and speak four fluent languages. That's how smart he is. His IQ is 220. He's the smartest man in the world, and he only has 2% of all knowledge. That's 2% of all knowledge on planet Earth, all cultures that ever existed, all tribes, all artwork, all music, all language. This man can dissect every single language on planet Earth that's ever been spoken. He can talk about the nouns, the adverbs. He can conjugate every single verb in every language. I lost some of y'all just now with the word conjugate. Y'all are like, me and my wife, we conjugated after we got married, you know. <laughs> That's consummate, just in case you don't know. Anyway, okay, so here's my question. Is it possible that in the 98% of all knowledge that you don't possess, that someone exists who you know nothing about? Of course that's possible. Of course. So if you said there's no such man named David Weber, I would say, well, do you know every man's name on earth? You'd say no. But here's what I could say. I could actually come to you and say, there is a man 
named David Weber. To say that, I don't have to know every man's name on earth. I only have to know David Weber. And I can say he does exist. Here's why. He's my professor in college. He's my friend, and we talk on a weekly basis. For me to tell you that God does exist, I don't have to have all knowledge. I just have to know God. And I can tell you he does exist because he's my teacher, he's my friend, and we talk on a weekly basis. Psalms 14.1 says only a fool in his heart says it. It's not being mean and calling names. It's saying only an ignorant person. The only way you can say there is no God is if you're a fool because you don't possess all of knowledge to say it. So number one is origin. Number two is this, meaning. Meaning, what gives life meaning? Why am I here? Here's the answer you and I have is this, to receive God's love and to give love. That's our life mission. To love God, love people is our life mission. And it takes a lifetime to learn how to do that. To learn how to forgive, to be kind, to um, let go of offenses, to, to, to be generous. On and on. We, it takes a lifetime to be able to receive the love of God and to be able to give love to others. A lot of people believe that we are just made up of time, matter, and chance. They think that we're metaphysical, that we have no soul, that we are just like the plants and the animals. That's what a lot of people believe. If you are metaphysical, if you have no soul and you're just like every other thing that's out there on this earth, then this picture should not bother you at all. This is a famous picture called the picture of the vulture and the girl. What it is is this young girl is in Africa and she's about to starve to death at any moment. She's going to die of starvation. The vulture is just a few feet away waiting for her to die. As soon as she falls over dead, this little child is going to be eaten by a vulture. Now, if you have no soul, then this won't bother you at all. Tragedy means nothing to you when it comes to other human beings. If you have no soul, you're okay with the vulture eating the little girl. The photographer that took this picture won a Pulitzer Prize for it. Unfortunately, the more he looked at the picture, the more depressed he got. And he ended up killing himself because of it. If you're just a metaphysical thing walking around here like a plant, like another animal, this doesn't bother you at all. So the question that we say is, <clears throat> well, the answer, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love, 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 love. But if God is all loving and good, then why is there evil in the world? If God's all loving, then why is that little girl dying of starvation and the vulture's going to eat here? If God is all loving... If he's this good God that has a good plan for our life, why is there a thing? Why do people get raped and killed and murdered? Why do children die of cancer? Why is there starving people in the world if God is all loving? Let me explain this to you. Um, the only way that love, which is the supreme ethic of God, which is the reason why we're here, the only way that love is possible is if you can choose not to love. God created us as free will beings. We have the choice. Love is not possible unless you can choose to hate. You understand? Just like light's not possible unless there's darkness. Darkness is not possible unless there's light. If there was only light, then there would be no such thing as darkness. The only way love is possible is if you can choose to not love. If God forced you to do the right thing, he would take away the very thing that makes us human, and we would be another entity altogether. We would be robots. If God forced us to do the right thing, we are no longer human beings. And if he forced us to do the right thing, then there'd be no such thing as good or evil. It would just be called norm, I guess. And we were forced to do the right thing. 
God cannot violate our free will or we are not humans and we cannot choose to love him. In fact, even receiving God's love, you can't even receive love unless you're a free will agent that can choose to do so. God will never force you to receive his love or anybody else's. God will never force you to love him. Here's what we want. We want to do whatever we want to do with our life until it comes to the death part. Then we want God to force us to choose him so we can go to heaven. Doesn't work like that either. If you, what your question is, is not why is even, here's your real question is this. Why doesn't God remove the things that hurt people? Why doesn't God just stop all of the pain and all the things that cause us any kind of, okay, if you want God to stop the evil in the world and to violate our free will, let's ask God to start with you. And let's ask God to force you to exercise twice a day and eat right all through the day so that you can live longer on earth and help more people. Right? Let's start with that. Why don't we start with God forcing you to get the cheapest cell phone there is, drive a Pinto, live in a one-bedroom apartment, and use the money that you have to help starving children? Why don't we do that? See, we don't want God to do that. We don't want God to violate our free will. We just want him to violate other people's free will, like rich people and people that have more than us and, that, and the people that we want to go to. Let's let God violate their free will, not ours. No, 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 no. See, it doesn't work like that. Doesn't want it. You want to know why there's evil in the world? Evil's in the world because the world has departed from God. That's why there's evil. Evil's in the world because we're supposed to be his hands and feet and we choose not to. If every Christian in America only tithed faithfully, there would be no starving children in the world. So how about this? Put aside all your Bible studies and all your little good deeds and just tithe. That alone. Be glad that you're part of a... I'm a little bit too passionate. I'm sorry. Let me just calm down just a little bit and smile because sometimes I don't smile when I get um, passionate. I'm sorry. Smile. What was I talking about? Okay. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. It's not God's fault that there's evil in the world. God's not going to force you to do the right thing. He's not going to force you to go to heaven or else there's no such thing as love. Love is out the window if he forces you. The only way you will ever be able to receive love and give love is if you have a choice to not do so. I mean, if you want to stop all the evil in the world, then be very happy that you're part of a church that has financial counseling, that helps other countries, that has colleges, Bible college to give people wisdom, short groups, we have emotional support, 12-step programs. Be glad you're part of something that is stopping the evil in the world. When you're part of this church, you're stopping the evil in the world. We can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. Amen. We can't change the world, but you know what? We can change us in this room. You can change yourself. So when you know there's evil in the world, let's start with you. And then we'll continue down the path. Evil's in the world because the, the world has departed from God. Okay. I had another point in the first service. I said, why don't you, let's pray that God stops you from eating all the donuts and coffee and cigarettes and all that. But see, we don't want God to, we want to do what we want to do with our body and our money and our life. But we want God to change everybody else, right? Okay. God wants to change you. So number three is morality. Now, my personal opinion is this is the only one you need. I can converse with somebody who's not a believer in a very friendly way by only using point number three at all. I, can, I mean, this is the most beautiful point ever. Okay, morality. How do I differentiate between good and evil? How do I define right and wrong? Now, here's our answer is we have a relationship with God and we have his word. That's our answer. That's how we know right from wrong. A lot of people believe, in fact, all the other religions in the world believe in subjective morality. 
Subjective morality is you get to choose yourself what's right and wrong. And I'll ask somebody when I talk to them, I'll say, well, how do you know what's right and wrong? Well, I just do whatever feels good. I just do whatever feels good. Well, what feels good? I, you know, I just try to treat people right. What does that mean? I'm nice. What does that mean? How do you know? Like, what's right and wrong? So if someone raped your daughter yesterday and murdered her, you're supposed to take them out to lunch and be nice. Explain to me how you know. Well, not in that case. Well, how do you know? I just feel it. You just feel it. It may feel good for somebody to shoot you in the head and take the money out of your house. If it feels good for them, is it okay, but not for you? Well, no. That's not a worldview. You can't say, I just do what feels right. I just do it, you know. Well, it's against the law to, to shoot somebody in the head. Not in other countries. You talk about Jesus in a certain country right now, they'll cut your head off. So how, well, I just do what the law says. Every law is different. We can't make our morality based on American law because our American law is changing every single year. So if the law changes, then your morality changes. There's no absolute morality without God and His Word. There's none. There, even scientifically, you can't find absolute morality without God and His Word. What tells a scientist that he should be honest with his findings? That's a philosophical argument. A scientist may lie so they can get more grant money for what they're doing. Is that okay if they lie, if it's going to help more people? What if a scientist says, well, if I kill your child and take your child's blood, it'll save these two children. Scientifically, that looks fine. Save two, get rid of one. Is that right? Is that wrong? Thank God we have a relationship with him and his word. This is the only way you can ever define right and wrong, ever. You will never in your life get through this world and know what's right and wrong without God and his word. Ever, 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 ever. So if that's true, if our morality comes from God and his word, is the Bible true? How do we know the Bible's true? How do we know it? Scientifically, how do we know? Let me explain it to you. This Bible is filled with 66 books written by 44 people over a time span of 1,500 years. Okay? There's one single thread that runs through this entire book, and the thread is called Jesus Christ. It should be easy to disprove a book like this. It should be simple, but you can't do it. You can't find where it contradicts itself. You can't find where it's wrong. You can't find where it's immoral. You can't find one thing wrong with this book written by 44 people, 66 books, and 1,500 years. And there's one thread that goes from the very beginning to the very end named Jesus Christ. 99.6% of this book has been proven by all historical documents, including pagan Unchristian historical documents, Roman historical documents, and every other historical document of the world, 99.6. That means that it only takes 3.3% of faith, 0.4% of faith, to actually believe it. The rest of it is completely true, proven by scientists and historians. You can't do it. The collusion factor that this book is as congruent as it is from Genesis to Revelation is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. You, there's not another book. It's the best-selling book of all time. There's not another article or book in the entire universe that's ever been written that has the same collusion factor and is congruent as it is to these mathematical odds. It's impossible. So what I tell people is, when it comes to morality, just read the book. Spend one year before you die. Spend one year and read this, and you tell me what's wrong with this book. And you can't do it. can't find one thing wrong with it. Origin, meaning, morality, number four, last point, destiny. What happens when I die? Our answer is, it's either heaven or hell. 
Where do I go after death, heaven or hell? Now, a lot of people believe in reincarnation. You know, you die and then you become an insect or a king, depending on how well you lived the life before. Let me tell you some problems with that. Where's your moral line? How do you know what you're doing that's right and wrong to be based on this next life you're going to have as an ant? Or, what, what they have no answer for morality whatsoever. So how do you know you're going you're to be a king? Are you going to be an ant? What are you going to be in your next life? Well, I don't know if I do good. What does good mean? There's no moral compass for you. Well, just what feels good. Well, that doesn't make sense at all. Here's the other thing wrong with reincarnation. Where did the first birth come from? There's no origin. Well, you know, and there's all these, so all these people in the world, as the world's populating and populating, where did they come from? Well, you can't answer those questions if you believe in reincarnation or karma. Here's our answer, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now, let me show you. People say that Christianity is exclusive. It's the most inclusive worldview that's ever existed. And here's why. The word that whoever believes in him Black, white, red, yellow, old, young, dumb, smart, rich, poor, anybody, anybody, everybody's allowed. You don't have to look in a certain direction when you pray. You don't have to kneel five times a day. You don't have to give all your money. You don't have to do all these worshipful things and dance around. It's whoever wants to believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you have not found Jesus, here's why. You've never searched for him. It's not, it's not the knowledge. It's the intensity of the search. God would not be a just God if somebody went to hell who never had a full chance. You have to think God is perfectly just, right? A perfectly just God. That means there's not one person burning in hell who was not given a full and total chance to choose him. Let me show you how, how, how ignorant people are sometimes, okay? Romans 1.19 says this. God is evident. He is made plain in our inner consciousness. Ever since God created the world, his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen through the things he's made so that people have no excuse at all. How can you not walk outside and look at the sun and something in your inner consciousness says, where did that come from? How can you not look at a mountain or study the human DNA or look at a telescope at the stars and not think, how did it get there? God speaks to our inner consciousness. Even the things he made shows his reality. Yet people are so prideful and so selfish and so arrogant, they'll still believe they came from a monkey. Where did the monkey come from? <laughs> Christianity's not even a religion. Religion is all about what we can do to get to God, what we can do to get to nirvana or the 72 versions or whatever you believe in the afterlife. Christianity is the exact opposite. Christianity is all about what God did to get to us. If you want to study this book, the whole Testament is proof that we can't get to him. The New Testament is proof that he did everything he could have possibly done to get to us. Why would he do that other than love? There's no other answer. Why is the path to heaven so narrow if God is an all-loving God? Last question. Why is it so narrow? If the only way to God is through Jesus, that one way, if he's so loving and powerful, why is there only one way? Let me explain this to you logically. Truth, by definition, is full of boundaries. 
If you ask me, how do you lose weight? Well, there's this pill and this pill and this thing, and you can try this, and 100 people have tried this. No, no. The truth is, you eat right and exercise. I saw on Facebook this lady put, she said, I'll do anything in the world to lose weight other than eat right and exercise. Anything else, though, okay? The closer you get to the truth, the more boundaries. I want everybody to, everybody say this. Everybody say, Pastor, what color is that carpet? I'm glad you asked. Everybody see this carpet up here? Okay, watch. It's not red. That's one boundary out the way. It's not yellow. That's gone. It's not white. We got to move that out the way. Is this hurting your feelings? Are you sad that it wasn't red? I know you thought it was red. It can't be red and something else. It can't be. It's scientifically impossible. It can't be contradictory. It's only the closer we get to the truth of the color of this carpet, the more boundaries we're going to have. It's not purple. Sorry, Ravens fans. It's not purple, okay? Move it out the way. Do you see, the closer I get to answering that question, the more things I have to push out of the way. It's impossible to believe in two different worldviews. You've got to pick one or none. It's totally your choice. Guess what? The carpet's black. It's black. See? Everybody see? We all look it's black. The truth behind this is the carpet is black. Not yellow. Not orange. Not red. Not purple. Not white. It's not even brown. Well, it looks kind of, it's black. Look, it's black. Now, see, a lot of people, that hurt their feelings. Well, all my life I believed it's red. I'm sorry. Well, why can't it be red and black? Because it can't. The truth is, it can't. You can pretend like it is. It's not the truth. Skeptics and all these universal differences. People have this hard time and they say, if this God's all perfect, all knowing, all powerful, all loving, why would he make only one way for us to get to him? And they're asking the wrong question. The question is not, why would this all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-giving God only make one way for us to get to Him? The true question is, why would this all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God make any way for you and me to get to Him? In all of our immoral thoughts, in all of our selfish attitudes, our prideful ways, our me, 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 the way we spend money, the way we treat people that we don't like, the way we're offended when somebody hurts us, and he is going to make a way for us to get to him? The very fact that he made a way should be enough for us to bend our knees, lift our hands, and say, thank you, Jesus, for making a way for us to get to you. Romans 10, 13, everyone, everybody say everyone. Who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're not saved, you've never called on my God. And that is how you converse logically. <laughs> okay, let's give God a big hand clap.